0: Good morning, everybody. Did you know that God is good? Did you know that? I want you to tell the person next to you, but I want you to say it like you believe it, that God is good all the time. Say it to the person next to you, around you. Somebody you didn't come with today, all right? I'm going to make it challenging. Somebody you did not come to church with today. Ah, y'all thought you were going to make it easy, right? i oh, God is good all the time. No, you go to a stranger. It carries some weight to it. God is good all the time. But did you know that sometimes life is not kind? Do you know that? Sometimes life gives you things that you never thought that you would be in the middle of. Sometimes life deals you uh, just a just a set of circumstances that it only uh, that. that that if we just look at it, we, we can only be stuck, but yet if we believe by faith that God may be in it and work around it that, and rely on the fact that God is good all the time, then He gives us the way through it. Oftentimes, here's what happens, oh church, we land right in the middle of it, and we get in the middle of circumstances, and we look at poor, poor, pitiful me instead of looking up at God. Let's look up and start believing in God, amen? That God can and that God will, because God promised. And that's what the scripture says. I want to talk about something important to you, important to me, and I want to speak specifically to the ladies for just a couple minutes about something that's deep on my heart, and it may not be deep into yours, but maybe it will be in a moment. I want to talk to you, to you mothers specifically about monogramming. I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about making better choices for your clothes. I want to talk about the fact that you may love your first, middle, and last name, and you have to put those initials. I'm sorry, it just happened to work that way, Joy. When we were singing, I was looking over, I was like, it's coming, I know it's coming. There you go, good. Let's talk about monogramming, right? Monogramming, it's like you may love your name, your, not just your, your first name, but also your middle name and your last name, and you want everybody to know that, you put it on your stuff. I even get monogramming if you have multiple children, just keeping track of like coats and shirts and whatever. It's like instead of number five, you have their initials. I get it. It's just, I mean, just reason through these things. It only makes sense, right? I get it. I totally, totally get it. But if you only have one child, there's no explanation why everything needs to be monogrammed. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. I mean, I realize it's different because I grew up in the north and now I moved to the south. We become proud of our, our, our middle name specifically, you know. I mean, I only heard my middle name when I was in trouble. Maybe it's the same with you. Chad Neal. I mean, that's what I heard. I was like, and I either knew one of two things. I could run, but they're going to catch me eventually because I'm going to come back home to eat or sleep. Or I just take the consequences. So I get it. I get it. And I realized, too, that we're, you know, we're in the South, and we love names like, well, that's Mary Joe, and that's Bobby Dean, and Ricky Bobby. I don't know, I threw, I threw that one in there. It's like we have, we have these names in the South that help define us, but, and I realized that even picking out your kids' names is hard, right? It's, it's hard to pick out a kid's name. I mean, you don't want to be that person who names, it's like, you know, there were so many names, like within this certain five or ten year span, it's like you name your kid that, and you're like, oh. You're Austin, sorry, IJ, that's his name. You know, it's like whatever, Whatever the case may be, it's like, oh, okay, everybody within this 10-year span have this name. So you want a timeless name, right, when, when it comes to your kids. I get the pressure of it, but have you ever thought about how pressured Mary would have had to have been if she had to name Jesus herself? Think about that. Like, who do you pick? Let's call him Moses. That was a good name. I don't know. What about Isaiah? He was a good man of God. I don't know. Like, if she had to pick out the name herself, it's like, what would she, what possibly could she have named Jesus? Because if she were the one who was literally naming Jesus, there's so much pressure. It's like, you want a name that stands out. You want a timeless name. You want a name of meaning. And back in their culture, your name really meant even more so than what it does in ours. And yet God the Father would choose, and Mary would know that Jesus was to that the child was to have the name Jesus. And in, in that name, Jesus taken from the Hebrew of Joshua, it means the Lord is salvation or the Lord saves. The Lord is salvation. So I can stand up here this morning and say that God is good all the time because he is still a God who brings about salvation. He's still a God who redeems people from the pit. He takes people from from terrible circumstances. He turns their life around. He gives them meaning and purpose. And sometimes these divine interruptions are just something to erupt praise back in His name. Sometimes a divine interruption is something like what we're going to see with Mary. With Mary in her life, and she was just... A young girl, and everything was fine. She was betrothed. She was going to be married to Joseph, and and I'm sure she had this vision of happily ever after. And yet this divine interruption would would take place in the passage we're going to read from today. And she would find out in the midst of this storyline that her life would be totally different than what she had thought. And we're going to see this week and then also next week just some of the tension that she sat in. But what we're also going to see in this passage is really what I think is three big ideas, and this is really the pathway that I see in the Scripture in my own life and people that I counsel and people that I've I've had the opportunity of leading and discipling over the years, is that God always gives a vision of something, He tells them what He intends to do, but then He also provides the means to do it. And that's what we're going to see in Mary's life. Mary had a defined calling in her life. And this would be the very thing that we know about her is because she was the mother of Jesus. What we're going to see as well this morning is this. How do I live out my unique calling from God and, and equip others, other believers to do the same? How do I live out my unique calling from God? Because let me just encourage you with this. God has a unique plan and calling for you. You are not to to be walking in in these nine and a halves. You've got your own. He's got a path for you. He puts you in the family that that you're in for a reason. The the life circumstance, maybe it was surprising to you, but it was not surprising to God. But I want to encourage you to keep going. And when you keep going, then you're going to realize, no matter where you are, that God has a unique plan and calling for you, just for you. Now, the cool thing is we get to rub shoulders together. We get to do life together. We get to know one another. We get to encourage one another. You know, there are certain things in history, certain phrases in history that have defined history. There was a, a president a long time ago by the name of FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And he said this phrase. Maybe you've heard it. We have nothing to fear but what? Fear itself. And then Ronald Reagan in the 80s, he said this phrase. He said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, right? And then Dr. King, he said what? He says, I have a... And these phrases have have helped define us as a country. But I want... And they're amazing phrases, and those were amazing times with amazing people. But let me just tell you this. God has... Something to set loose in you. And there's a a phrase that can change your world as well. And it's a phrase that signifies the change that happens within Mary. And if you would take hold of this truth, this would be the the very thing that would be the key to unlock your future. And it's this. Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Or... Let it be done to me according to what you say. To go from the place where you are, whether maybe you're pursuing your calling from God and you're living in the midst of this purpose right now, and you would say that I'm one with God and I'm in fellowship with God, I'm being discipled, I'm discipling someone else, I'm serving, you're doing the things, that's, that's great. But let me just tell you, you have to continue doing those things. You have to continue to go back to the Lord to say, let it be done as you say. Let it be done to me in my life according to your word, trusting that God is good all the time. Because if God is good all the time, you have nothing to fear. If God is good all the time, then we just have to seek the Lord through the midst of the storm, knowing that he's going to right the ship even when we can't see the horizon. Amen. Behold, if we would just embrace this reality and say, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. I'm not the servant of myself. I'm not the servant of of my legacy, even. I'm not the servant of, of my path and all of my desires and my personal vision. No, no, no. I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to as you say. In other words, God... I'm not just along for the ride, I'm, I'm trusting and believing by faith that you are good, your path for me is right, and in that, I'm going to find my unique calling, and then, listen to me, then I want to encourage others to do the same. That's where the fellowship part comes in. Our passage this morning is going to be, uh, we're going to start anyway in Luke 26 through 38. We're going to have some other supporting scriptures but in Luke 1, through 38, there's, there's mention of two different miracles that are, are, are going to happen. Of course, the, the miracle is being mentioned in Mary's life and just the miracle birth of Jesus through the Holy Spirit of God. But then also, Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, she is six months pregnant as we jump into the storyline here, and it also was a miracle birth because She was barren and her husband was old. I don't know about you, but I'm not really good at math, but those two things added together usually doesn't equal birth of a child. But when God's in the mix, it changes things, doesn't it? So now as this change happens, and now Elizabeth and her her husband Zachariah is a priest, they are... Uh, now they're expecting a child, and it's going to be John the Baptizer. An amazing story, amazing diet, amazing wardrobe of John the Baptizer. You ought to read it. It's great. That isn't the story this morning. It really is a story about Mary and her, her obedience to God. Let's go to this passage. Let's see what I was talking about. Verse <clears throat> excuse me, 26. In the sixth month, that is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give, give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. She says the question I believe that all of us would ask in this situation, how will this be? Since I'm a virgin, she says. left her. Back in verse 26, right where the passage starts, I want to just kind of tell you something. This won't be on the screen, and maybe this would be of interest to you. There's, there's a common way in the Scriptures of which God would send about a, uh, to, to bring about a message to someone's life specifically. So, and usually there are five different steps. And So the message to Mary is actually taking a very familiar Hebrew form. You see this throughout the Old Testament. Maybe you want to write uh, these references down. You can look them up later. And then I'll explain to you what I mean. In Isaiah, Isaiah 6, Jeremiah 1, Exodus 3, and Genesis 12 through 15, and also verse 17. In Isaiah 6, the message is... God is speaking to Isaiah. And in Jeremiah 1, the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah. In Exodus 3, the Lord is speaking to Moses. And in Genesis 12 through 15, and then, verse, and then chapter 17, the Lord is speaking to Abram. And here's the common way of which uh, in the literary world, this is what would happen. And it's very common in Mary's story, and I'll give you the five different elements there's an appearance of a divine messenger, meaning that God is sending a message. It's a, a direct line from God, whether it's an angel or God Himself, to uh, to an individual. So there's the appearance of a divine messenger. You see that right here in this passage with Mary. There's confusion or fear to the person being addressed. She says, "How can this be?" She's confused. You see that there's an angel's message. Again, this all can be verified in the Scriptures I just mentioned to you. The person's objections are addressed. So the people, when they're objecting, like, God, really? Is this what's going on? And yet the person's objections are addressed, and then the message is confirmed with a sign, wonder, or miracle. And the sign, wonder, or miracle that would be confirmed is indeed the birth of Jesus, the reason for Christmas, to celebrate our Savior. So I want to break this down a little further for you. It says, in the sixth month that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. I want you to know that this is a really small town. This, this town is believed to only have 200 or 500 people. The reason why I bring that about to you is that everybody would have known everybody. If this would have been a lie, this wouldn't have been Mary and just the the footnote of Scripture somewhere. This would have been Mary who lives around the corner. This would have been Mary that everybody would have known in that area who her mom and dad were, her life story. They, They would have known things about her. And if some of this would have been a hoax or been untrue, there would have been who knows, 200 to 500 people who would have said, no, 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 this isn't true. This is Mary. She did this. She did this. This is a lie. We don't see that in the scriptures. We don't even see that outside of any any verifiable just writings historically. So this this is Mary, who's not just some person we only know her first name, so she is just important and just a footnote in history. This is Mary, somebody who lived in Nazareth, By the way, just in case you're curious, Tombsboro, the metropolis of Tombsboro, has about 492 people, give or take. You know, I don't know if anyone's been born or died recently, but that was what the census said. And just in case you think, ah, well, maybe Dexter and Dudley are about the same size. Dexter and Dudley are actually bigger than this. Check the census. I did it for you, but... If you don't trust me, do it. I want you to know that Mary most likely had had plans for her life. That this was a very unique divine interruption. If you're, you're married, you may remember when you were engaged and you're dreaming of the future and what, what the future might bring and you're thinking, will we live here? Will we, what will we do? What will we pursue? The trips we'll take. What will our family be like? She most likely had some of these things too. Maybe not the trip part because they were very stuck in there. They couldn't get around very well because it was much more difficult. Obviously, transportation was an issue. And she's very young. And yet in the middle of this, she's posed with this great challenge and then that God is in the middle of this, and we know, and we're going to see this actually next week, we're going to see that she believes that God is good by the way that she sings about God's attributes. But this had to have been a collision with her hopes and dreams and a redirection from God. I want to tell you about another collision that happened in my life. I was in high school, and I was driving in my brother's Z28. Now, I'm old, I realize, and some of you are like, what's a Z28? Google it. This car was amazing. This car uh, had like 30,000 original miles on it. It was pristine. It was fast. Uh, I would tell you that we always drove the speed limit, but then I'd be lying, you know. But it was fast. It was a beautiful car. There was one morning we had gone to Hardee's. My brother was a manager at Hardee's. This was his senior year, and this was my freshman year. And we'd gone into Hardee's because, hello, cinnamon raisin biscuits are amazing, and uh, I don't know, if you haven't had them, you need to. Um, that explains this section. And uh, so anyway, we left, left Hardy's and we pulled right out of, of their parking lot. But what we didn't see and didn't, didn't know what was going on is because we were, this is a true story, I, I remember traumatic things by the songs that were being played on the radio. I do, I do. And it, it's weird, I get it. But we were, we were rocking out, like I'm sure it was over 100 decibels, of Tesla love song. It was a song of the time. And we were just, we were just blaring this, it, not even to notice that when we pulled out of the parking lot that there was a fire truck coming right toward us um, with lights on and sirens and stuff. Uh, it was in a hurry, apparently. And it was coming this way, and we were going that way, and we couldn't get out of the way fast enough, and we just got T-boned by this fire truck. Now, it made us popular at school for a little while, um, I will tell you that, but it was it was a, a big collision, and that car was no longer the nice, amazing Z28. It had an accordion for a dash, and everything on it became a lot smaller, um, and, and so much so that the car was gone. I want you to know that that was a collision. This also was a collision for Mary of her hopes and dreams. That I tend to think that it was even bigger than what we even probably think that it is. Bigger than what we can fathom because compared to the pressure that would be on a young, maybe middle school or young high school girl in that culture, pressure of what if people find out? What are people going to say? How are we going to explain this? There's a lot of pressure. And yet in the middle of this, there's this incredible reminder that God is going to see her through, and she radically obeys. See, I have an idea, and I want to give some some kind of credence to this by putting some stuff on the screen. I have some ideas that maybe the reason why obedience is hard for us is because, for one thing, is because we settle for God's substitutes. We settle for something that is a substitute for the substance of God. We settle for a God substitute, whether it's a a relationship, whether it's a Z28, whether it's a house, whether it's your hopes and dreams, whether it's a career path. It's like we we tend to just make idols of things in our lives. Even our kids and our marriages can be or our singleness can be just substitutes for God. But I tend to think that we put so many things in in place of God. Maybe the reason why obedience to God is difficult is because we can't see so clearly because we have idols in the way. Another thing I think of is maybe because we fear the consequences of that obedience. Meaning that if, if, I, if, I, if I do this thing, if I, if I obey you, God, and, and I actually live on mission for Jesus and where my sole purpose isn't me, my sole purpose isn't pleasing my parents or pleasing my kids or pleasing my wife or my husband or my coworkers or my 401k, instead of saying yes, or like if we just to say yes to God, I, I think sometimes we fear the consequences of that. Will they shun me? Will he shun me? Will they shun me? Will I lose my job? Will I look like those crazy Jesus people? And I think sometimes we fear the consequences. I think another reason why we don't obey is because we've seen inconsistent examples. That being our parents. We've just seen inconsistent examples. It's like there's a longing of our heart to obey, but yet... We really haven't been raised up with somebody who has truly obeyed themselves. So now, you, we just kind of follow what they did for us, and, and they just, they weren't obedient fully like the, even that they should be, and they just kind of went through the motions of church, so that we just get in line with them, and we go in the motions of church too. I think sometimes our, our obedience to God is, is set back because we've had inconsistent examples not just in our family with our parents, I think even within the church. Because again, we're, we're in this thing together and, and you know, people come in and people leave and, and different things happen. And when you see that inconsistency, I think sometimes that gets in the way of our obedience. Well, let's be true about this. Sometimes it's just disappointments. Sometimes it's just disappointments that you thought your life was gonna go this direction and you were so convinced that it was and that was your hope and that was your dream and then God reoriented your hope and dream to something else. Or you thought your hope and dream was going to be this but then you, you suffered some sort of trauma and then those disappointments and the lost hope and you've lost peace and then that becomes distance between you and God and then also a, a, a way that you would not, uh, it would just become more difficult to obey. Then the next one I'm just going to mention is love blockers. And what I mean about this is, you know, it's really hard to love other people if we don't love ourselves. And it's really hard to love other people and to love God fully if we're walking around wounded. And our wounds and our lack of healing become love blockers. And the only thing that can connect us between, the, between us and the healing that we need is Jesus Christ. And sometimes the the love blockers get in the way to where we just we, we can't even really take a step forward. It's like we just kind of fall right back to the same place over and over and over again. It's because we haven't asked Jesus to heal our wounds. We've been trying to hide our wounds. We've been trying to busy ourselves in certain ways to avoid our wounds. We've been trying to be, you know, try and gain as much money as we can, and we live at work to avoid recognizing our wounds. And I believe that these, what I'm calling love blockers, because really it's, it's God's love for us and, and our love for other people, that uh, th- every bit of obedience is going to be rendered out in, in one of those two ways. It's loving God or loving yourself, loving your neighbor as yourself. It's, it's always going to be in those two categories. And I think sometimes these things become real obstacles for, for our obedience. And I can tell by the tension in the room and by some of you in body language when I would say certain phrases that that was the one that, that meant the most to you. And maybe you look at all these and you're like, that's my life. But I want you to know that God is good and He's good all the time. In the Scriptures, there. There's many mentions to Jesus specifically in the Gospels. He would talk to people and he would explain to, to them, he said, say, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he was painting a vision of a possible future. And then he would, he would always bring about this vision to remind people that you're not just stuck in your circumstance, that even in the middle of your circumstance, what you thought was, was a stumbling block that when you actually give that stumbling block to God, it's no longer a stumbling block, but it's fuel for God's vision for your life. In this passage, there were certain things. Not only do we know that Mary was given a vision of what the future would be, and in the scripture in uh, verse 31, it says, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Then starting in verse 32, there's, through verse 33 and these two passages we're going to see five different aspects that speak very specifically about jesus so this is what it says it says he will be great that he will be great that he will be great this word great is it too is is a word that can be just glossed over. It's like, oh, he's great, because we use that word. That's great. This, this word in the Greek, it means important, surprising, large, or out of the ordinary. I've been thinking this week, and I spent a couple of days uh, hiking with my dad and camping with my dad, and, and these visions came up to me whenever I was hiking with my dad, and I, I thought about just asking you this. Who in here has ever been to Manhattan or New York City? who's ever seen that is it amazing or what just the buildings and I'm not saying that you you liked the the environment of it but it's overwhelming when you're there who's ever either gone to the Grand Canyon or looked at a picture of the Grand Canyon who's who's looked at that who's and just who's been in awe of that thinking wow this is just the expanse of this who in here has had the opportunity to fly over the ocean? Even to just a small part of the ocean. I've had the opportunity to see the ocean for months, actually. Um, I, and I've been thinking about these as, as word pictures because these are things from our world that, that can overwhelm us in good ways. That you know, you think about New York City and, and just the, the infrastructure of the city and the skyscrapers and and all of the engineering it took to build these buildings and to, and to do all of that and civilization and to think that God was the source of the intellect that was provided for those men and women to build New York City. That God was the source to create, in whatever way he created, the Grand Canyon and the expanse of the Grand Canyon. That God was, if you've ever even seen the ocean and you've never actually been on the water they or flown over it, but even if you stand at the beach and you look out and all you can see is water where the water meets the just the sky, that is amazing. And that God was the source of that too. I think sometimes we need to be blown away at the expanse of God when we look at, and, and even this, that He will be great, that that this greatness is going to be encapsulated in this little baby and now I've just given you a word picture of just things from our world. You look around and you're like, opportunities for us to be blown away and God is the source of all that. It means that God is, is bigger than all that, that God is, is more creative than all that. He is more powerful than all that, that God is all that. Second thing, it says that He will be called the Son of the Most High. That means equality with Yahweh. It's just an extraordinary uh, thing that this is saying about Jesus. Who, when you were younger, you had to deal with carbon copy paper? Anybody? Anybody other than me? Wasn't it weird? Just, Just in case you have never dealt with carbon copy paper, I thought about Why don't we use carbon copy paper? Because we have phones now. We take a picture, it's there. As long as the cloud holds it, it's there, right? Like back, back in my day, I'm really sounding old. Like back when I was younger, like we used to have carbon copy paper. What it is is this: maybe there would be uh, just the paper, literally it's made of carbon, and you would have one piece of paper here that you would write on, and then you would have a a piece of paper underneath the carbon paper. And if you wrote on this paper on the top page, then it impressed upon the image on the other page. I just learned you something. Isn't that good? Like, this this is part of our upbringing. It was, you know, if you had credit cards, it's like they didn't have... Like chip readers and all that. Remember this? Now I see some of you like, you're with me. Like you have to do this ching and it would, it would make a carbon copy of, of that transaction. What is being said here is that Jesus will be called the son of the most high. Meaning that he will be a carbon copy of the father. That he will be made in the exact likeness and attributes of the father like the, the mysteries and the wonder that they would have in just all throughout the Old Testament, that Jesus would be the fulfillment of these things. Also, that he would be given the throne of his father David. That's the next in line in the Scripture. That he will be given the throne of his father David. I'm going to give you three different passages. I'm just going to give you the references on the screen. I'll just read these over you, and you can write them down or take a picture. Whatever you want. You can't carbon copy these, though. So here, here are three different examples of showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of what's being mentioned. In 2 Samuel 7.16, this is what it says. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This is the, the throne of David. And now this is just the continuation of the throne of David to be fulfilled with Jesus. In Psalm 89, 3 and 4, it says, You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm throughout all generations. Selah. And then in Psalm 89, 28 through 29, it says this, I will maintain my love to him forever and my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line Forever. His throne as long as the heavens endure. Another one right from this passage. That Jesus, that He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. That He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. That is taken right from verse 33. What's being made mention too in this passage is, is Jacob is meaning the nation of Israel. That Jesus is going to reign over the house of Israel forever. And the last one, that his kingdom will never end. That his kingdom will never end. That would be the fifth one right from verse 33. That his kingdom will never end. And 2 Samuel 7 13, it starts out by saying this, "'He is the one who will build a house for my name, "'and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. "'I will be his father, and he will be my son. "'When he does wrong, I will punish him "'with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men, "'but my love will never be taken from him "'as I took it from Saul.'" This is made mention to David. "'Whom I removed from before you, "'your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. "'Your throne will be established forever.'" That the kingdom expectation that's being mentioned here is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, let's continue on in our passage. Mary says that, that question that lets you really know where she is in this process right now in this moment. You can go there with me in verse 34. She says, well, how will this be since I'm a virgin? How will this be? God had given her a a vision. This is is the future. God had just revealed the intention of Jesus' life by these five different things. And now you get to the means. This is the substance. This is why. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. And here it is, for nothing is impossible with God. What's the means? How is this going to happen? Nothing is impossible with God. How can I overcome the circumstance that I'm in right now? Trusting and believing that God is good, He's good all the time, and nothing is impossible with God. How can I get the healing that I need? Well, I'm just I'm starting with this, that God is good all the time, and nothing is impossible for Him. That's how I can get the healing that I need. How can I know what it is that I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life? Oh, well, here's how you start. God is good all the time, and nothing is impossible with Him. That's where we begin. But if we're honest, many times this is where we end. We live our life on our terms and then we get to the the biggest obstacle that we can't overcome and then we finally go to God. How about we make a commitment today to go to God first? Going to God affirming that He is good all the time and nothing is impossible with Him. And how about we, just like Mary, we don't look at the obstacle, but we look at God. And then we respond like she did when she said, behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to what you say. Let it be to me according to your word. Because after all, I'm a servant. See, this changes things, doesn't it? No longer are we resisting God. No longer are we, we looking at ourselves and then expecting God to just fix everything in our life so that we can live our life. Instead, this totally becomes a mindset shift. This becomes a shift in our faith to where we lead by faith and not by fear. And when we, when we come out of the gate and say, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Because after all, God's given you a vision. God's given the person next to you a vision. If you're in Christ, God has given you a vision of what life could be like. What it should be like. He's clearly told us what he intends to do. He intends to use his people to glorify his name and to bring good into the world and to evangelize lost people. And we also know that the Holy Spirit resides within every believer. That's the means of which the vision is fulfilled. And if you're in Christ, you have the Spirit of God right now. You know, we look at this, just the life of Mary, and and many times we can just gloss over the fact of, of what it was that she was in the middle of and how it was that she responded but we can look at that one verse and see that she responded very clearly. And in that phrase, that was the phrase that defined the rest of her life. And I believe that's a phrase that could define the rest of your life too. doesn't matter if you're in middle school, high school, early in life, midlife, end of life. The way that you can live out God's unique calling for your life is to step before God, knowing that God is good. He's good all the time and say, nothing is impossible for God. I am your servant. Let it be to me in my life, just as your word says. So where are you this morning? Where are you? Are you stuck? Do you feel stuck? Do you feel helpless? Hopeless? Or do you feel free to pursue Christ? I want to pray for you. I believe we have some more business to do. Let's pray. God, we all come before you today. And God, I know that even in the midst of this, We've just sung songs talking about your gospel message and the freedom that we can have in Christ and and just how you are the way maker of God that you, you have made a way of salvation. God, that you so love the world that you send your one and only son. God, you... You've done all these things. Not just to secure our salvation, although that's incredible, but to secure our calling, to secure our future, to give us a purpose. God, help everyone who is listening to this message. Help them to embrace what your word has brought about today. And God, if there's any restlessness inside their soul, God, I pray that you would send it just a calmness and a peace. God, I pray if there's any just nervousness, maybe there's somebody who is, is being called upon to do this act of obedience and there's this nervousness and just, uh, just, just this built up anxiety and, and rooted in fear, God, I pray that you would calm that that you would replace it with peace, confidence, hope. And God, for the person who is not walking with you, that they don't even know you, and maybe right now in this moment, something is heavy on their heart, and maybe it feels like just a cinder block, pressure in their chest, maybe pressure in their back, or something just, something's about to boil over in their mind. God, this could be the very moment, the very day, that you turn their life around. And God, if that person is being drawn to you for salvation, my prayer is that you would do what you've done many times before, is that you would lead that person to come and talk to me so I can help them to understand what they're experiencing and to lead them to you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are good all the time and that nothing is impossible through you. Amen.